Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're having an amazing week, an amazing day. I had the pleasure of sitting down with the incredible and quite YouTube famous Dr. Fox to talk all things BPD. This is a conversation you won't want to miss. So a little bit about my guest. With nearly 150,000 subscribers on YouTube and two decades of experience under his belt, personality disorder expert Dr. Dan Fox is a popular and influential psychologist, as well as a multi-award winning author. His book, The Borderline Personality Disorder Workbook, has been one I have seen referenced countless times by my fans and followers. So many people have told me that it has been instrumental in their recovery. Dan also just released a brand new book called Complex Borderline Personality Disorder, How Coexisting Conditions Affect Your BPD and How You Can Gain Emotional Balance. I linked the book in my show notes and Dr. Fox was kind enough to provide me with a copy. I am planning on reading it, highlighting the crap out of it, and then having another episode with Dan back on the podcast to talk about the book and my takeaways and my honest review. So I can't wait to do that. So Dan released this same interview on his YouTube channel and I have to admit I was really nervous because it's the first time that like my face has been out there (laughs) and I get really comfy here behind my microphone and so having my like a video of me out there on YouTube on Dr. Fox's channel with so many different subscribers that he has there was a big moment for me and very nerve wracking. Um, so I'm sharing the same conversation here because I also want my podcast listeners to be able to get all the juicy value from our conversation. Just a little bit of a heads up, Dr. Fox was experiencing some audio difficulties with his mic, so the sound quality is sometimes a little bit difficult to make out. I don't find it to be that bad, but just know that it may be a little bit more difficult than some of my other interviews. Just a heads up. But hey, it's free content, right? <laughs> like, what can we do? You win some, you lose some. But we just have such an amazing conversation, and I know you're going to get a ton out of it. Let's just roll that intro for the podcast, and then we're going to just jump straight in to my incredible interview with Dr. Dan Fox. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. All this focus, focus is supposed to be You have entered back from the borderline, where we walk willingly into the darkness within our minds and return home to ourselves transformed. I'm your host, Molly. I spent most of my life numbing the pain and emptiness inside me, unaware that my self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts were destroying my ability to connect with myself and other people. One day, I decided I was sick enough of my own bullshit to hear life calling, telling me it was time for a change, and I decided to answer that call. On this podcast, we'll learn that when we see ourselves as the hero of our own journey, it gives us the best chance at finding our inner truth and integrity. Together, We'll learn to hold complex feelings, expand our consciousness and self-awareness while making meaning of our suffering. Are you ready to find out who you are underneath the weight of everything that's been keeping you stuck? If the answer is yes, follow me down the rabbit hole of psychological and spiritual growth. I'm so glad you're here. And with that, let's dive straight in to the episode. Welcome back to the podcast. I am here with Dr. Daniel Fox, and I will would love to have you, Dr. Fox, go ahead and give yourself an intro to the listeners and talk a little bit about your credentials. Okay. Uh, so my name, as you said, is Dr. Fox. I'm a licensed psychologist in the state of Texas. Uh, I do specialize in personality disorders. Um, so I've been working in the field probably over 20 years. Um, so I got my doctorate from West Virginia University, and prior to that, I was at Florida State University there, uh, sort of focused on more psychopathy and a social personality disorder, um, uh, domestic violence perpetration, things like that. Then in my graduate work, focused more on attachment, the development of personality, what are components of positive attachment, healthy attachment, and that how that can foster sort of a healthy uh, personality component. Um, so my focus specific on borderline personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder, that, that came out of not only the, the research that I've done and the work that I've done, but also the clinical experience that I've had over 20 years in a lot of different kind of environments and things like that. And I think that th- these are just areas that, uh, that I think are, are just, they're misunderstood and, um, not, not researched enough. So that's, you know, I, I root for the underdogs. Well, I appreciate that. And I we talked a little bit about this in the intro before we hit record, but I was an early follower of your channel after I was diagnosed and I found it to be a refuge from the stigma that I came come across. Because I'm sure you know from treating many people with BPD that when you type 
BPD into google.com. It is a overwhelming uh, thing to do. And my question for you is, is what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about people with BPD, obviously, or you could name a few. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, probably, you know, yeah, they're, they're, that's that's a big umbrella. But that's I, why I was like, oh, yeah. maybe it's maybe it's a big question. <laughs> yeah, but what, what I would say is that I think first of all is that it's a misconception that it is untreatable, mm-hmm. and you know, so part of, of also what, what I do is I, I also um, I do seminars for mental health providers, psychiatrists, psychologists, you know, marriage and family social worker, all, you know, LPC stuff like that, mm-hmm. and you know, you you I, I hear from from folks who say, you know, I have this client and I don't know what to do and I'm overwhelmed. And, you know, I mean, they're not treatable anyway. It's like, hang on a minute. Because the research doesn't support that. And, you know, it's part of this stigma. You know, I I like to associate it with, you know, fatal attraction, but it goes back even earlier than that. And we don't have to do the whole history lesson of of BPD. But but, I kind um, of want to. Right? I've never... it's a good uh, bedtime story. Yeah, I, I, but I, but as in like, it, it's interesting. Like, I don't know if there's like a Cliff Notes version, but like I actually never touched on in my podcast kind of where the term came from, but I don't want to throw you off course with the misunderstood part. So keep on going with like your oh, yeah. seminars. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 definitely. I mean, the, the, the really super, super short version is that it is from individuals that were on the borderline of psychosis, but they weren't psychotic. So yeah. you, they, you, you had these patients that were demonstrating all this emotional instability. And, and it's it still, you know, a lot of that stigma still perpetuates today. So we'll, we'll tie it all together. And um, yeah. And so, you know, what, what they were seeing very early on is that, you know, these people are presenting as though they're psychotic, but they're not because, uh, what I call the, the BPD lens, which is that that distortion of how you interpret yourself and others and you interpret situations and all of that. So, you know, they were seeing that early on and they're like, but there's no psychosis. Now, even though you would have some some sort of brief psychotic episodes, but they weren't they weren't schizophrenic. So some would have brief psychotic episodes, which those with BPD are at a higher risk for brief psychotic psychotic episodes, but not schizophrenia. So then they were saying this, they didn't know what to do with it. So they became overwhelmed. They were like, wait, well, let's classify it. So they started to classify it and then it became borderline. And then they said, but it's not really a clinical condition. It's something that is developed over time because they believed at the time that there was no genetic component per se. So then they were like, well, so then it must be developmental, which means it's a personality component. So we'll call it personality. And then it became borderline personality disorder. And then um, what happened is, is that you ended up with these clients that were complicated to treat. And the way that that I think the most effective way to look at it is the way that I describe personality disorder is a dual construct. So, which is you have surface content and core content. And if you just treat an individual who has BPD, and the reason why I phrase it like that is because I have a lot of folks who first start working with me who say, I am BPD. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, you have BPD. It's different, right? It's like cancer. People say, well, no one ever says I am cancer. No, you have cancer. That's such and, a good distinction. That is but, but it's so important, especially for treatment, because yes. if, if you think that this is all who you are, yeah. you get lost in the mix. And yeah. my job is, as a psychologist is to pull you out of that mix and, and straighten that out. 
And, you know, DBT was kind of the first big component to kind of clear, clear the way for that. And then, you know, then they said, wait, well, DBT works. Why does DBT work? And we started teasing it apart, looking into it. And then, you know, we discovered, wait, this is a treatable condition. So in the DSM-4-TR, it went from a poor prognosis diagnosis to a good prognosis diagnosis. The problem is, is that other folks in the mental health field and in the general population haven't caught up to that. So, you know, they, they still see the upper third percent of, of BPD, which, which is your extreme cases, which are only about 3%, as the 100%. So then you miss it. A lot of, of my colleagues and stuff have clients that are funny, that are very, very bright, very artistic, right? Very goal focused and driven. You know, they just manage their emotions poorly and it interrupts their relationships, interrupts their, their schooling, it interrupts, you know, their family life. And they don't think, oh, well, but this is BPD. No, they wait until it's the 3%. So you miss the 97%. So That resonates so much with me on so many levels, to, mainly because, you know, when I first went to go see a psychiatrist, it was when I was having suicidal ideation. And it was just like, I didn't have a plan. I was just kind of going, what's the point? And I knew in my mind, uh oh, this is time where I need to go seek help. And I presented to the psychiatrist and I think he had seen me for maybe 15 minutes. And I said to him, I think I have BPD. I did a lot of research and I didn't just look at a couple meme pages. I really did a lot of research and I, I really felt like that is what was going on. And he said, trust me. And I quote, you don't want to have BPD. It's incurable. Right. And that, that was the first psychiatrist I'd ever been to. And he said, I'm going to treat you for bipolar two because mm-hmm. you're basically, you're not, essentially you're not crazy enough to have BPD. Mm-hmm. And I just, I left that office with a prescription for Lexapro, Buspar, Lamictal, and Xanax. And this is someone who is on just like five milligrams of Lexapro. He upped my Lexapro and I suffered really terrible side effects from it. And not to mention it didn't help me. And I ended up going to another psychiatrist who told me then I had CPTSD and ADHD and borderline. And so it's like, I ended up going to three different psychiatrists. All of them told me I had something different, but the resounding message was basically, you're not crazy enough to have BPD, Molly. And, uh, and, um, it's incurable. Like, trust me, you don't want to have that. And why do you think that there is so much misinformation about like, we go to these people for help and to hear that message of like, trust me, if you have that, you're like damaged goods. That is kind of how I felt. Why do you think there's so much ignorance in the mental health community still because there are amazing doctors like you. I just had Dr. Courtney Tracy on my show last week where she's open about the fact that she has BPD. She may not meet the criteria anymore, but she's open about her own previous diagnosis. And I have people in my DMs every day, Dr. Fox saying, Molly, I am um, in clinical trials or like I'm in the clinical practice with, with under supervision to be a clinical psychologist. And I hear like coffee room talk of saying, 
of those borderlines from the people that are supervising them. And they're like, I have BPD and I'm terrified to even tell my supervisors that I have BPD. This Mm -hmm. seems so, that's not okay. Like why, how have we gotten here? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and I think, you know, that there's a lot of components to that. And actually, uh, so I, I have a video coming out next year. You know, and next year, well, I mean, we're in December, right? So we yeah. get it. But, um, but so I, I have one coming out that talks about, you know, BPD, like from a therapist perspective. What I've learned, you know, from, from doing seminars for the last, you know, 10, 11 years with mental health providers and stuff like that. And then working with doctoral students for the last, you know, 15 years and, you know, from all of this experience. And I remember, you know, I, I think a really good, good way to kind of encapsulate this is so I, I had a student, right, so several years ago. And I was going to, you know, give, give her a client, really, really good, you know, student, really bright, really good therapist, really, you know, insightful, all this. And I said, okay, I said, so this is somebody probably in that moderate range, you know, tell, I'm explaining the client to her. So probably that moderate range, you know, a BPD. And she was like, oh, God, BPD. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, have you treated someone with BPD before? Well, well, no. And I said, well, then why, why have the prejudice? And she was like, well. I've just heard so much stuff. See, that's the problem, is that it becomes perpetuated in, in these schools. It becomes perpetuated, you know, in these programs because people are holding on to, you know, these fallacies. It's like, you know, I mean, and, I, and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I have very complicated clients that don't have a personality disorder at all. <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, you know, people want to say, well, you know, the worst clients that you can have are those with with BPD. Well, I I absolutely don't 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 agree with that at all. But but it's this stigma that has been perpetuated, and it, it's easy I think to to kick these folks, and that's because there's very little support, yeah. you know, for them, you know, out at the the population at large. Just like you mentioned, right? If you Google it, it's it's a nightmare. I mean, you, you even have you know uh, very very you know prominent um, mental health, you know, professionals that have equated, and this is a quote, and this is what started my, my YouTube channel was that, um, he said, well, BPD is the female equivalent of antisocial personality disorder. And I was like, what? I mean, this is somebody, right? Ivy league school, you know, he is, uh, I don't, I think he might be tenured. I don't know. But anyway, he's at this prominent, you know, university and all stuff. And I was like, really? So I wrote him and I said, you know, I said, you know, I I watched your thing and I I just, you know, I want to, and really, I had never thought of looking up borderline personality disorder on on YouTube or anything like that. I mean, you know, I'm a little older than than a lot of the YouTube generation, you know. So anyway, so I looked it up and it's, and I I found this and I wrote him, he never wrote back, you know, stuff like that. And that's fine. And I said, well, if you're not going to do it, then I'll do it. So then I created the very first video, which which was hope, you know, about having hope. It's like, why isn't anybody talking about the reality of the research? Why is anybody talking about, you know, that 80% of those with BPD have symptom remissions? Why are people talking about that this is a treatable disorder? It's a manageable disorder, you know, and no one is talking about that. They're all too busy saying, well, you're not, you know, just, and to, to, to rephrase, you know, what you said, you don't, you know, you're not crazy enough for that. Exactly. And that is just, I love that we kind of got, because I was going to ask you what sparked you to start your YouTube channel. And there it is right there. And I had a similar feeling where I felt like also 
I kind of waded into the peer advocacy space and I saw a lot of meme pages and right a lot of like glorifying what I I saw to be glorifying self-harm glorifying Mm -hmm. um like suicidal ideation and a lot of people in the BPD community and I call it a circle jerk of sadness Dr. Fox because I just say that it's like we're wallowing in our misery and Mm -hmm. I have like some pretty crazy BPD stories to tell like the fact that that doctor told me that I wasn't crazy enough. And I thought to myself, you've known me for 15 minutes, but what you haven't heard is that I slept with like 60 people in one year without protection. And, uh, you know, was if I walked out on my boyfriend with just a pair of booty shorts in my backpack and said, I'm running away from our house and like screaming and crying over the tiniest things. And so it's like, am I crazy enough now? Like, you know what I mean? Like how crazy do you have to be? And, but I, I saw a gap in the peer advocacy space because I feel like also a lot of the people in the BPD community do themselves a disservice by starting these big uh, meme pages and then Mm -hmm. really negatively affects younger people. I get messages from young people all the time saying, Molly, I'm so glad I found your page. Um, So many pages in the community are just kind of like wanting to wallow together. Have you seen the impact that like social media and those kind of meme page spaces are having on maybe some of your younger clients, like glorifying self-harm? But not even on the younger ones. I mean, in, oh, on, in, you know, yeah, on, on all of them, you know, on, on Instagram, there's there's certain, you know, in, Instagram pages and stuff like that. And, you know, they, they reference, you know, BPD and, you know, I don't want to reference anyone specifically, right? But, you know, um, and I have clients, you know, that, that I'm working with and they'll, they'll have, you know, successes, right? And we're doing really well and stuff like that. And then, and then, you know, they'll have a, a regression, right? So you go back and then, you know, you, you have a resurgence of symptoms and there's usually something that kicks it up. And, you know, if it's not a substance induced regression, because sometimes it is right that there's substance relapse and not everyone with BPD has substance issues, right? So, but like, if it's not substance induced, then, you know, we'll kind of process it. Even if it is substance induced, then we talk about it. So we'll talk about it. And a lot of times lately it's Instagram. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, I try to tell my clients, like, just, you know, they said, yeah, but it's, but this is about, you know, BPD getting better or, you know, BPD, you know, empowerment and stuff. I'm like, well, let's go through it. Right. So we go through it together. And as we go through it, I said, yeah, a lot of them are like backhanded support, which is, you know, it's support, but don't forget you're broken inside. And it's like, yes, okay. I understand building insight and that recognition, but I mean, you know, all, I'm, yeah, all of my clients before I made such, such an extreme statement, I wanted to make sure I was like, yeah, all, all my clients are like, why are you so positive all the time? Like, why? Well, I'm like, because, because you should be amped up. This is a treatable thing. This is something, you know, I mean, they're like, my, my clients are amazing. Like they are just amazing. And including the, the BPD ones as well, because they're positive and they're self-motivating. Yes. They just have this distortion yes. and they fall into these maladaptive patterns and beliefs and it continues, you know, to be disruptive in relationships and in family and stuff like that. And, and it's so hard to unlearn what you've learned. And just so everybody wants to pop a bill and boom, it'll go away. And when, when you talk about all of those medications, you know, uh, which is really why, and it also proves the point, 
that we have to see personality as a dual concept, right? Mm-hmm. And which is that medications treat surface content, depression, anxiety, psychosis, rage, you know, uh, impulse control issues, core content for, for like the classic core content for those with DPD tends to be abandonment, rejection. Uh, sometimes it's low self-worth. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a feeling of, of invisibility, whereas, you know, they feel like they're not recognized, they're unheard, you know, things like that. But there's no medication for abandonment. There's no medication for feeling invisible, you know, for low Feelings self-worth. Feelings of emptiness. Yeah. Yep. There's not. And, you know, for me, everything I say on my podcast is self-awareness is what helped me. As soon as I started, I grew up in a in a family system where I just I can I can confidently say that it was just a poor match, a poor fit between caregiver and child because I was privileged enough to have all of my basic needs met and I'm so thankful for that and I truly do believe that my parents did the best with what they could, but mm-hmm. I was a highly intense an emotional child. I had very existential questions for my parents when I was very young. Like, what was I before I was born? What happens after we die? You know, and I was told, don't think about that. Why are you thinking about that? And so, and I witnessed a lot of uh, abuse, uh, just like emotional neglect and abuse between my parents. And I called that out as a very young child, but it was always met with you're wrong. There's something wrong with you. You're dramatic. And so I just learned to chronically doubt myself, which then made me start spiraling. And I started listening to story tapes, like books on tape, like, and I'm yes, listeners, I'm old enough to have listened to tapes and my tape player, but I had Harry Potter books on tape that like, I could not sleep without those books because I had these existential thoughts going through my head. And for me, paranoid thoughts. My cat is rubbing herself on my computer. Please go. Away. <laughs> um, but I, I, that is what I think really kind of kicked my BPD off is number one, really doubting my own self, because now that I've, rec- I'm, I'm in recovery, I'm going, wow, I am a good person and I know what's right. And I realized that I was just told my entire life that what I was seeing with my own two eyes was not reality. And so therefore, then I got myself into abusive relationship after abusive relationship and Dr. Vox, because I thought nice guys were boring and then the abusive guys would like fill me with love. And then I just thought, and they'd say, I would call them out on their behavior, right? Saying this is not right. And they would tell me, no, you're not perceiving this right. And I went, well, shoot, I guess I guess this is the legacy continuing. I I can't trust my own perceptions. Mm -hmm. Do you find that a lot with your clients as well? Oh, yeah, definitely. And and I think it it manifests in in a lot of different ways. And I think, you know, that and and it goes to one of those central components is, you know, that unstable self-image. It's like, so, you know, you learn to not trust yourself. You learn to to have this sense of uncertainty. So then you have these, these relationships or you, you look externally for that validation. You look externally to make sure that your feelings are okay. But, and the, the, the way, the way that, that I describe it. Um, so, uh, right. Uh, so sometimes I'll, I'll do like groups, you know, I'll, I'll do like DBT groups and stuff like that. So, um, and I like to do in the beginning of my group, you know, um, and they're all on like a different, um, different level of, of, of BPD, you know, and stuff like that and make sure they're suitable for the group and so on and so forth. And in the beginning, I said, you know, sometimes people say to me, 
that they wish they could love the person who loved them enough, who loved them, that they knew that they loved them enough, so that they loved them enough, so that they knew they loved them when they loved them, when they told them that they loved them, that they knew they loved them enough, that they had enough love to know that they were loved by the person who loved them enough to tell them that they're loved so they would know that they're loved. Wow. And what's interesting That's is- That's like a tongue twister. Is, <laughs> and, but what it is, it's BPD. I mean, and, you know, invariably, like sometimes if, if I'm on the fence, if someone, you know, kind of, is there BPD stuff? Is there not? I'll say that to them. And they're like, you get it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I do get it. And, and it goes to a, a, exactly what you said. It's having these relationships, looking externally, but you, you found that if you build insight, you empower yourself with it and you make your own choices not to please everyone externally, but, and it's not being selfish either. It's getting a sense of, understanding what fits for you and who you are Mm. and you can then control your world if you can control your world now you're going to have to deal with the responsibility and and the consequences of your behavior but you have to do that molly and so do i and so does everybody else and that sucks and that's why radical acceptance is so important right you just have to i mean doesn't mean you have to like it you just have to accept it's there Oh my gosh, this is such a perfect segue into a question that one of my listeners had. Like, it's like a perfect, uh, hits the nail on the head. So one of my listeners, her name's Kim. Um, she makes also incredible, uh, BPD content while she plays the Sims, which is just so unique. And so her YouTube is your new pen pal for anyone who's listening. And cause she's just so self-aware and, and asked, and she sent me some questions. So this is one of her questions. She said, what are some key tips you can share about choosing self-love instead of shame and self-hate on a day-to-day basis? Those of us with BPD have spent decades in the dark and are more familiar with toxic shame. Aside from therapy and medications, what are some small ways we can pave the way to recovery? And I think, so what, what I would do first is I would look at objectively, look at yourself and what, what you bring to the table, right? What What is the table? And the table, you don't need anybody else at that table, right? It's what what do you bring, right, to the planet? What do you bring, you know, as a sense of value, as a sense of purpose, you know, and I think recognizing that. And a lot of times I find, you know, like a lot of my clients, they, they, they know that they're good at some things, whether it's art, whether it's business, whether it's, you know, I mean, I've, I've treated folks with BPD that are medical doctors, that are nurses, that are psychologists, that are psychiatrists, right? That work at Arby's, that work at Torchies, you know, <laughs> for those that are in- uh, We love Torchies tacos. And Torchies is amazing. It's yes, so yes. Good. <laughs> right? I mean, but who, you know, so, I mean, BPD spans all, all of, of, of these different, you know, professions and jobs and stuff. And I think, but you have to recognize where your skill set is. Yes. And I think part of that is, it's not enough to just think it. You have to put pen to paper. And one of my all-time favorite mentors is thinking's not enough. Pen to paper. Mm. And it really, because what it does is it slows your thought process down, right? I would write out what you bring to the table, right? So Kim is obviously very creative, right? Because it's, yeah. And I would use that insight. So I'm a creative person. So creative people are empowered with seeing the world differently, he also holds a high powered job and manages a bunch of people too, as well as managing her content. Like she's incredible and helps people like, you know, Mm -hmm. like she's selfless. Like I could list all these things uh, for her. She's loving. She's in a long-term relationship and owns, owns her, her stuff and her relationship too. Yeah. That's really beautiful. And for me, you know, 
I couldn't agree more with the actually writing things down because I always think, oh, I've got this. I can just think it. Why? But it really does change something when you start journaling or writing things down. That's yeah. a really good example. Yeah. And the power of post-it notes. I'll tell you oh, that. Yes. Yeah. So, so true. I couldn't agree more. This other question she had um, is, can you describe the connection between BPD and age regression? Some people with BPD experience their inner child crying out during abandonment triggers. What are some more ways we can be cognizant of this when it's happening? And I could not agree more with Kim because for me, I could be during the day talking to CMOs, C-level executives at my day job. And then I could turn around. And last night is just an example. I'm PMSing and my partner threw away my biscuits from church's chicken, Dr. Fox. And Mm -hmm. my partner, I was like, I had a, a meltdown over it. Like I was like, where are the biscuits? And now we're like laughing, calling it biscuit gate at this house because, (laughs) but no one at work could, would ever see me act like that. I go into pure petulant child mode when I am in with around the closest people, the people that I love. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that pretty common? And, And what causes that? So there's a lot to that. I think, first of all, you know, so um, when we look at that BPD spectrum, we talk about that upper 3%, that upper 3%, they don't adjust their behavior based upon the environment that they're in, right? So that upper 3% that everybody says, you know, well, you don't want BPD, right? Because then, you you know, you're not crazy enough. And so that's, that's what they're talking about. But what you're talking about is that you're able to adjust your behavior based upon the environment that you're in, right? You know that you need to bite your tongue. If someone throws out your biscuits at work, right, you need to be like, right? I'll just be screaming in my mind at them and probably be very passive aggressive at some point or something. Right, Right. or steal all the pens or something like that. Yeah, 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 literally. Or I'll say best Molly on my email. I'll I'll do a passive aggressive email sign off. But yeah, I won't be screaming at them like I'd scream at them, scream at my partner. Right, because because there's certain people that that are safer targets, but you know, and and I think you know to 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 go specifically to your question is what you know th- those regressions. So when you yeah. talk about age regression, you go back to like petulant behavior. You know, right now we're in the holidays. You know, when when we're filming this. So, and I think you know it's important for us to realize that whenever you go home, wherever your home is, wherever that caregiver is, mom, dad, brother, sister, cousin, person to carry you, aunt, uncle, whoever, right, that there's a little part of your brain that in order to adapt to that new environment, you mentally regress. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's part of that, right? So part of that regression, I think people that we're closest to, sometimes we let our guard down a little bit and they kind of see, you know, the scars and, and, you know, the markings and the history and everything else. And part of it is, I think part of, of that recovery journey is, is sort of recognizing, you know what? Biscuits are biscuits, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's catching it be, before it, it becomes the inferno. That, that's the hard part, but it's possible to catch it because there's, there's that little, there's probably that little voice, right, that, that's in there that says, Molly, they're just biscuits. And you're like, oh, oh they're biscuits, you know. Literally, and- I wanted it. Like, that's what made yeah. me think, like, I, I was looking forward to those. I am, had a long day, like, me, 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 right? And Part of the reason why my recovery has come so far is that I have a partner who is so good at like shutting that down in the the sense that he 
in my home, right? If I would have lashed out, my dad or my mom would have screamed right back at me and it would have been an escalating thing. Zaz, my partner, his response to that was, Molly, I'm not doing this right now. This is, these are just biscuits. We can get more tomorrow. I don't, I'm tired. I love you, but I'm not going to engage. And, and literally I, I know, right. He's a saint. He's really, really good egg, but, um, that's one of the reasons that I came so far in my recovery is because having that reparative relationship and someone to kind of set those boundaries, he has rock solid boundaries with love. And if I was with partners in the past, I didn't get that back. So he has made it to where it's really impossible for me to get a rise out of him. And I think so many of the people that reach out to me that have BPD, they're with partners who are very easily triggered by the BPD behavior. And then we see it really explode. And for those people who aren't, do don't have a partner that, cause I know Zaz is an anomaly. It takes a lot of self-control mm-hmm. to, to yeah. react in the way that he does. Um, what if, how can we catch ourselves in those mm-hmm. moments when Say, for instance, I screamed at my partner and my partner screamed right back at me. It's like when you start seeing something escalating, what are some ways to like quickly diffuse that as the person with BPD and then as the partner? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Right. And I think so from from the individual with 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 BPD side, I think first, you know, you you're going to have to take ownership. Right. Hopefully you're in a relationship where it, you're safe to take ownership. Right. And taking ownership is, you know what? I'm freaking out. They're just biscuits. But if you're with someone who is about, you know, dominance, who is about, you know, getting you back for the headache you just caused them, then you have to then pay that emotional penalty. And those are the relationships, oddly enough, that those are the relationships that validate BPD. I didn't say validate the person. I said that validates BPD because BPD leads to that belief, right? If if BPD is its own kind of little little thing, right? And but it validates that because it's like, see, you are terrible. You got all worked up about this. I think about it as like a little yeah. gremlin, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah. it's like that inner critical parent inside of you. Right. 
Yes, it's called family in the head is, is what I, I call it with, with my clients. It's family in the head. It's it's that chorus. It's not necessarily mom, dad, brother, sister, cousin, but it's that family, that grouping. Yes. It's in your head that says, see, you are terrible. See, I love that. Are. So you got to own it. Now, if you got to catch it before you go off. Now, there's some things that folks can do. Um, if you if you Google DBT tip sheet, T-I-P, right, sheet, it'll come up. One of the things that, that Linehan suggests, and it's brilliant, is what you're going to do is you're going to get some cold water. You're going to splash it on your face. It works every time. It, it works every time. I have, I have done that. Physiology, and it yep. works on our physiology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've yeah. even done it with just my hands before, too. Like, it really does work. And I did it in a very desperate moment, and it it is like magic. It works yes. so well. One of Kim's questions, she said, what are some day-to-day life examples that a person with BPD is becoming enmeshed in a relationship? How do we reframe our thinking and prevent this from happening? And I think I get so many questions from my listeners that are similar to this, where they go, Molly, I don't know if it's, if it's my BPD or if this is a toxic relationship. Like they are really confused about like, they're like, am I blowing this out of proportion? How can someone know if they are maybe making someone the center of their world? How do you know if you're kind of FPing someone, favorite personing them, mm-hmm. or if they yeah. are, or if it's a healthy connection and you're just deeply in love with someone? Mm-hmm. And I think the best way to look at that is I think you have to look at a relationship on whether it's based on need or want, mm-hmm. right? So if you're in a relationship that you need to be in, right? then that means it's like air, right? We need air. We need water. We need food. That's basically it, right? You want to be in a relationship, right? You want to be loved by somebody. You know, you want to be with that person, but it's also okay if they leave. And that's really hard for folks with, with, with I, I bet you all my listeners are going, no, Dr. Fox, no, yeah. it's not okay if they leave. I'll die. Like literally, that's how yeah. I felt. Right. I really felt that way. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, one, one of the best um, explanations of that uh, comes from Lorna Smith-Benjamin. So I've read a lot of her books. You know, I've talked to her um, time and time again. She's a brilliant, brilliant woman. And um, she talks about, you know, the abandonment and the rejection issue centers around, right, that if that object, that external object, that love object, right, that person who we love and stuff like that, favorite person, that person goes away, then... I disappear. I mean, think about that, but think about it, right? Not, not from a psychologically figurative sense, but from a literal sense, which is that imagine, right, that this person, right, that this external object goes away and you just become irrelevant. I mean, but you have to think about the reality. That's what an individual with, with BPD is going through. But part of the growth and development and getting the relationship that that folks with BPD want is recognizing that difference between want and need. It's tough. And I'm not saying that you just sit there and say, well, well, I want to be in this relationship, so so we're good. No, because what it is, it's about that if you need that person so much, what is it about them that you need in your life in order to feel like they're as important as air, food, whoops, sorry. Oh, air, food, air, food, right, and water. 
no, no, no person is that important. And, and, and I know that, that that's terrible. And, you know, I mean, and, and I'll just say, you know, in, in working with, with a lot of folks, you know, through, through, throughout the years and things like that, that one of the best agreements I think that folks can have is that you talk to your partner and you say, are we in this because we want to be or because we need to be? And it's such a different relationship when you want to be there, when you need to be there, that's scary. Because if you think my whole being is going to disappear, if you disappear, so you can't disappear. So I got to check your test messages and I got to check your email. I got to check your yes. social media. I got to check who are you looking at? Why are you looking at her? Is she better than me? Is she? And your air is actually getting sucked out of you. That was me. That was absolutely me in my relationship. I would go checking phones. I would check text messages. And I always say now, like, if you go looking, you're probably going to find something. You know what I mean? Always. Because for me, even if it wasn't a big deal, I would convolute, I'd create a narrative for something and then I would be ruminating and then I would be being passive aggressive. Then I'd be withholding sex. Then all of a sudden I'm in a relationship that is completely disconnected because of this narrative that I've created. And don't actually cheated on before, but also I created narratives of my own as well. And my current partner, he is just, he, again, he doesn't put up with that stuff. And early in our relationship, I was like wanting to talk about kids right away. I was wanting to talk about marriage right away. And he said, Molly, it takes me time to build intimacy and like, I'll know when the time is right. And in that, and I screamed back at him in those moments where I was like, wow, see, I knew you didn't actually love me, blah, 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 blah. Now I'm sitting here and I'm going, we have had very adult conversations now where we were like, you know what? If we had a kid together, we could be really good co-parents together. And And if we didn't end up together because people change, like maybe we won't be together. And I never thought I would be in a position. I used to think old BPD Molly would have thought, if we have conversations like that, that means we're not meant to be. And that means that he's planning on breaking up with me. But now I see that's like what a truly loving partnership does is like talking about those realities. And it doesn't mean that we won't be together in the future, but that actually shows our maturity in our relationship. Right. Yeah. And, and you're, you're together because you want to be in it. And, yes. and, you know, and, and it's not a, a suffocating, you know, we have to be together. If we're not together, then I fall apart. And, you know, it's, it's finding that. And I think, you know, when, when you go back to, you know, if you look through someone's text, email, social media, whatever, and, and your goal is driven by BPD, right? Because BPD is going to tell you that family in the head is going to say, well, you know, he or she's cheating, he or she's lying, he or she is going to leave you, he or she, whatever. Your perception is distorted anyway. So you're already primed to see the negative. Now, you know, folks with, with, with BPD are primed to see the negative, even in neutral basis. So, you know, what happens is, is that as you're going through stuff, may not actually be there, but you're going to see it. And that goes all the way back to the beginning of our conversation is when we were first talking about identifying BPD is that, you know, they were trying to figure out why are these patients seeing things differently, but they're not psychotic because it's part of the condition. It's part of that distortion and part of bringing reality into it, which is really scary. And, And a lot of my clients, you know, we worked together for years and, it's really scary. And I understand that it's scary and they have to work on themselves first. 
Like I don't treat anyone who comes to me and saying, well, you know, I, I want to work with you to have a better relationship. And a lot of times, you know, I won't do this initially, but sometimes in my head, I'm going, no, you know, because we're going to work together so that you can be empowered to be in the relationship you want to be. That's and it's really scary. And, and I've, I've gotten all kinds of expletives sent my way and stuff I'm like sure. that. And that's okay. You know, and I'm all right with that. But I'm also okay with if you're not ready for treatment, I think that's okay too. I, I mean, you know, my, I, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a superhero and stuff. And so sometimes, you know, it's part of allowing people to, to live their existence as best they can. And it's, it's respecting that. I would love for everybody who had BPD to go into treatment and be, you know, really motivated and be able to challenge and, and be successful and, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, the reality is you, you have to be in the right space. Yes. That is such a perfect note. And I know you have to leave soon. And that is like the most beautiful note to end on because I truly believe that me five years ago, I wasn't ready for recovery because I was ready. I was still stuck in blaming the world for everything. And I have been victimized in my life. I have been through a lot, like where I was a genuine victim in things, but I realized I was stuck in victim mentality. I was re wanting to relive the past. I was wanting to blame the world for everything, but it was only when I said, wow, I'm the common denominator here and I'm not going to make that a sad story. I, that was actually, I realized, wow, this is empowering because I can change this. Mm-hmm. I can make a difference. It's and, radical acceptance. Yes. And Tara Brock, who has the book Radical Acceptance, that was actually one of the first books that I, that I read. I really mm-hmm. got into, um, you know, um, mindfulness, meditation, all of these things where I realized as soon as I realized, like I can have all these feelings, but I'm in control of how I react I want to wait and decide what is my desired outcome. My desired outcome is I want to get closer to people and my behavior is pushing me further and further away from them. And the moment that I had that aha moment, then recovery is possible. Then working with someone like you, then you can make leaps and bounds in your recovery. Right. Yeah. No. And, and I, I think you're absolutely right. It, it's about being in that right space in that right spot. And, you know, being willing to do that. And I think, you know, everything you said, I think is such a powerful statement because it's recognizing the experiences you had and not being like, well, you know, I'm a victim. It's my fault. It's recognizing that, you know, the past is the past and it doesn't mean it doesn't have value and it doesn't mean that it's not important. But the only thing we can impact is today. And what I tell all all, all my clients, and particularly, you know, the, the, the group that I'm running now, we talk about probabilities. Life is about probabilities. There are no guarantees, right? Mm. Unless you're buying a car, there are no guarantees, and that sure as heck isn't a guarantee, right? Well, so true. Is that life is about probability. You engage in good behavior, you have a higher probability of positive outcome. You engage in destructive behavior, maladaptive patterns, you have a higher probability of negative outcome, but there's no guarantee. But folks with, with BPD really want that guarantee, and, and it sucks that that there isn't any. But that's part of that radical acceptance. It's part of understanding that and saying, you know what, you're not broken. You know, you're not defective. It's radically accepting where you are today and being like, mm, I think I'm done with this. It's time to get up, get moving, and learn adaptive strategies to go forward. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I could go on for hours about just like how much I'm just impressed with, with, with my clients that, that have done it. 
from all types of, you know, uh, socioeconomic status from, you know, racial, racial, cultural backgrounds, all sorts of challenges that they've had, you know, incarcerations, thing, things like that. They have risen to it to be successful. How they define their success is not monetary. How they define their success is that they are okay with themselves. And, and I, I, I just, I, I just want to say one, one more thing and then just, just real quick. So, yes. um, um, so I, I had a client probably like 15 years ago. And when we first started, she was that 3%, right? So she used to start with, and she, she has signed a lot of, you know, she doesn't care if I talk about, about her case that I wouldn't, I don't use her, her personal information, but she doesn't care if I talk about it because she's just so amazing. So, right. So, so she starts out the session. What she does, she would come up to my door, right? This is a long time. And she would start kicking the door repetitively, right? Because she's <laughs> So it's like, you know, get off your butt. I'm here. Let's go. Whether I had somebody in my, in my treatment room or not. So she's kicking it. You know? So that's where we're starting. Right. And wow. just, just a tumultuous, I mean, just a tumultuous relationships and multiple relationships and long history of abuse, self-harm. I mean, all, all, all types of stuff. So we work together for about four and a half years and it's intensive. So it's me as her primary therapist. She's also doing group therapy as well at the time. And she was also, uh, and the, the group therapy was specific for trauma. And, um, and then she was also doing a treatment called neurofeedback. So that's four and a half years. I've heard of that. You, oh yeah. It's, uh-huh. and it's really amazing. You just have to make sure that someone who does it, who, who actually knows what they're doing, but it's really great. And so, so she did this four and a half years, right? Four and a half years, you know, she, we stopped treatment. She feels good. She goes, right. She sends me a letter like about every five years or so. Right. So I think I got one maybe about two or three years ago. And this is what she said. Right. And I, I mean, I just, I'm so proud of her. So, and sometimes I get teary just because. I love that. Yeah. But she says, Dr. Fox, I want you to know that I'm doing well, that I'm in relationships and I know where I am and where they are. My son and I have a great relationship. You know, we have our ups and downs and our struggles, but we get through them because we encourage one another and we genuinely care about our growth and development. And I have my boundaries. I'm comfortable with my boundaries. My art business is going well. And I know who I am and what I'm doing. And thank you and take care. And you know, all those. Oh, I have like goosebumps. Cause yeah. I'm like, that's like it, right? That's it. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's doing life. That's being a human being. Like it's not perfection. It's just, that is the most beautiful. You must've been so like, that must just give you so much. You even look proud and my listeners are just going to hear the audio, but I'd like to say that Dr. Fox just looks like the, the proudest, like just smiling ear to ear. It is so clear that you love what you do. It's so clear the passion that you have for everyone, not just people with BPD, but cluster Bs in general and everyone else that you treat as well. But I just want to say thank you so much for what you do for all of us. And um, I hope that I can have you back on the podcast again. One yeah, day. I would love it. But I'd love to just finish off with what's next for Dr. Fox. What are you working on now? And where can my listeners find you? And yeah, I'd love to do just finish off with that. 
Yeah. So, um, so right now, you know, so the, the YouTube channel is where I focus a lot of my energy and my time and, and my attention as well. Um, I put some stuff on, on Instagram and then uh, I have a website too, and it's really a bad website. I'm updating it in 2022. So I'll throw that out. It is so hard movement. to keep up with all the different things. Mm. Like it I is. <laughs> some of my clients give me a hard time they're like you have the worst website i'm like oh man You're like sorry i'm just doing a few things right now <laughs> it's okay my, my sense of self isn't based on how pretty my my website is it's okay nor should it um, be and then uh, I, I have a book coming out in january uh of, of 2022 and molly I've, I've asked you to give an honest review and i appreciate yes. that and i love it yeah and that's on, I think, something that's so, so important is that it's on what I call complex borderline personality disorder, which is it's part of the confusion. I, I really, my next sort of, you know, step is to really address the comorbid conditions that confuse BPD, right? Which is, you know, you talk about bipolar too. 25% of individuals that are diagnosed with BPD also qualify for bipolar too. Right. And then you have all these other conditions that are comorbid. You have depression, you have PTSD, you have, you know, complex PTSD as well. And that's different from PTSD. And then you also have ADHD and you also have psychosis. So what can we do to tease out this information? What can we do in order for individuals with BPD? Do I, am I working with this? Am I working with that? And what can I bring in to the therapeutic environment you know, with my own knowledge, my own insight, so that you can help your own condition go forward. Because I think, you know, knowledge is empowerment. So I think I'm really excited about this book. And I, I absolutely adore my, my publisher. They're really cool because they're really let me kind of do do what I want to do. Uh, so New, New Harbingers is that and they have all kinds of really cool stuff. They all they published my, um, uh, my borderline personality disorder workbook. And which um, so many of my listeners love, by the way. Well, they, and, and that's so great. And that means so much to me. And yes. that's based on my treatment. That's based on, that's my treatment approach. That's what I do like with all of my clients. Uh, and then recently, New, New Harbinger, because they're super cool, something I've wanted to do for a really long time is I've wanted to develop a card deck specifically for BPD folks. And so they're yeah. therapeutic cards that tap into the specific domains of BPD, right, which is abandonment, right, um, impulsiveness, you know, and these other components. And what are things, right? So, for example, right, your biscuits get thrown out. Maybe now, you know, you're like, okay, wait, I'm feeling impulsive. And then you pick up a card and the card talks about, okay, if you're feeling this, do this, you know, in, in order to get yourself grounded, in order to get yourself, you know, reoriented. So um, I'm super, I'm so glad that they're, I'm like, they're so supportive of this project. That'll come out in 2023. Um, but so I'm writing it down, working with them, uh, and I continue to just put out stuff. And I think I, I love that YouTube is free and I, I love that I, you know, it's funny. So the, the first video I, I did, I really thought that people were going to tear me up, you know, and cause you know, I mean, you, you see like, like on YouTube or social media, I mean, what do I know? You know, it's a risk. I'm like, oh, people are going to write, you know, oh, you know, you're, you're the devil, you're, da, 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 you know, talking about hope, or they're going to say that's not true, even though it's all based on, you know, what, 20 years of research, but, but I got the opposite. Mm. I got, you know, people that were appreciative, people that were like, I've never heard this before. Oh my God. You know, and then, and then I was like, wait, I'm going to do another one. And then that became another one. And then that became another one. And that became another one. And I think, you know, so what's, what's happened is that it's just continued to grow and develop. 
And like the comments, I think 99% of them are positive, encouraging, strength building. And I encourage that because I think people with, with BPD need, you know, your, your podcast, you know, other, other people, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm kind of particular and I'm not saying I'm great or anything, but you know, you have to be careful if you work with BPD, just, just like you mentioned, you know, I don't, I would hate to, to be, you know, connected or, or something like that with somebody who was saying, oh yeah, I want to help them. But you know, you're all falling apart and dead inside anyway. It's like, whoa, what? I mean, you know, that that's not, so, you know, I, I did listen to your podcast and I was like, wow, this is somebody who gets it. Like I, you know, I wrote you back and I was like, yeah. our views align. We, we recognize that this is treatable, that people need support. They need encouragement. They need yeah. cheerleaders. And that's what you and I are like. We're the cheerleaders. Woo. That's right. <laughs> team cheerleaders i feel like we need cheerleader outfits dr fox i would would wear a cheerleader outfit gladly have you ever seen like the cheerleader like will ferrell skit from the 90s i feel like we're both in texas who knows guys just keep keep watch this space yes yeah i was in austin just a few weeks ago so you never know maybe i'll go again I would love that. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Fox. I just can't thank you enough for just offering your time. I know that my listeners are going to benefit from this so much. And I know that you are going to post this on your, your YouTube channel. And so for your viewers that may see this, I welcome you to my page and my podcast. It's a perfect compliment to Dr. Fox's work. And I'm looking forward to collaborating with you in the future as well. Yes, same here, same here. I look forward to it. Thank you. All right, you messy, amazing, emotional, fabulous human beings doing this life thing. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening because out of all the millions, billions of podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine. And that means a lot to me. And if you listen this far, I know you never want to miss a new episode. So to make sure that doesn't happen, click follow in your podcast player of choice and you will be alerted every time I drop a new one. To help me grow and help the podcast reach as many people as possible, go ahead and leave an honest rating and review. Not only that, I love to hear your feedback, so please share it with me. I read every single review and you just might hear it read out loud on the podcast. To connect with me directly, follow me on social media and keep up with all the new updates. You can find that all at backfromtheborderline.com. And as always, any articles, resources, or other helpful information you've heard today can be found in the description of this podcast episode. So don't forget to check out the show notes. And until we meet again, remember, life is a circle, a cycle, a process, separation, initiation, return. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.